Jesus wants us, actually here, let's go here. Notice how the father reacted to the son. I talked a little bit about it. But did you notice how, how welcoming and loving and comforting and gentle the father was? He could have said, son, you have gone, you have disobeyed, you have not honored me, you have not taken care of the money I have given you, you have lived wildly. That's the, the, re, the real expectation for all of us. Up until this story, if you had never heard it, you, you were thinking, oh, the son's going to get it when he gets home, right? That's just real. That's what we would expect from an earthly, worldly, lovely, worldly loving perspective. But the father said, no, I'm not going to acknowledge that that you have sinned against me. Instead, I'm going to welcome you home in my arms and throw a party for you and celebrate the fact that you were dead and now you're alive. The father, you can't miss this part, the father actually thought his son was dead. Like he thought because his son never returned that he actually died. But he came home and they celebrated his return. Did you know that God, our heavenly father in heaven, he sees you and I the exact same way as he sees the prodigal son? Did you actually know that? If you did, please don't take that for granted ever. And if you didn't, I'm hoping that's the best news you've ever heard. Welcome to the PC Youth Pod. This is part three from the series Homecoming, looking at Luke 15 and the Prodigal Son. I encourage you to go back and listen to the other messages. I know they'll encourage you. This week, we look at the Prodigal Son. Grab your Bible, turn to Luke 15, and let's hear from Pastor Spencer. How many of you know what sermon series we are in? You don't have to put the graphic up yet. How many of you know, Alex, what is a sermon series? What's it called? Simple was the old one. What's right now? Anyone else? Homecoming. Hannah, here's a Red Bull. Come on. Or give it to a friend. Hannah, that's your Red Bull. Okay. A little bit deeper, a little bit deeper. In this series, Homecoming, this is week three. What is the specific passage of the Bible, maybe book, specific book of the Bible that we're talking out of? Jeremiah. Yeah, what is that book? What book is that in? Anyone else? Matthew. Not Peter. That's Pastor Tom's sermon series on Sundays. Gavin. Not Matthew. You're close. It's one of the Gospels. Emma. Luke. There's some goldfish. Good job, Emma. Okay. Dang it. Someone took my question already. My next question was, what is the story called? prodigal son. Someone already said it. Someone already said it. Okay. We talked about the crowd the first week. Pastor Aaron brought the word about the perspective of the crowd. Last week, I talked about how the older son perceived that story taking place. What is tonight going to be? The younger son. Good job. The prodigal son. That's a treetop applesauce for Sarah Shawai. Those things are legit. How many of you are excited to be in church tonight? I'm going to get right into it because I tend to talk way too long when I'm up here. So we're going to set the stage. We live in a world where true biblical love is skewed. Do you guys agree with me? Love that is depicted in the Bible is skewed in the, on, on earth today. The culture where we, no, where we live right now on earth, no matter what the world convinces, convinces us of, it convinces us that we're failing. No matter what situation we're in, the world is not lifting us up. It convinces us that we're failing. Culture, culture tells us we do not belong. We are outsiders. Your social circles, you, you're, the enemy will convince you that you don't belong. Culture insists on making us feel alone in our own problems. Well, that was a deep one. I want to say it again. Culture insists that we feel alone amongst our own problems. 
I have something to tell you tonight. You're not alone. Odds are 50 other people in this room are going through the same exact thing you are. The enemy uses the tools of this world to convince us that there isn't hope and that God doesn't love us. That's real. The enemy uses tools of this world to convince us that we're alone and God doesn't love us. I'm going to tell you tonight that that's the complete opposite. We are not alone. We have a fellowship of believers with us, PC youth, and God loves each and every single one of us. It is easy to feel like we are stuck in our given situation and no no one wants to help us out. I'm going to prove that wrong tonight as well. If the world, this is what I believe, this is where we're going to go. If the world understood what true biblical love looked like, we would probably be headed in a different direction as a culture, probably a more positive direction. Let me tell you, God's love is still active. You guys hear me tonight? God's love is still active, and I believe it's going to sweep this earth again and convict people of their sin, and God is going to encounter people across this earth, and people are going to be one to Jesus. Is that a good place to start tonight? Can we get on the same page? We want God to to move on this earth. God, I just thank you for these amazing students tonight. I'm so thankful that they chose on a Wednesday to gather here, no matter if they have a lot of homework or they just got done with basketball or whatever it may be. God, I'm thankful that they're here. God, I pray that you make our hearts expectant for what you'd have for us tonight. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you want to do in our lives, God, and ultimately let us have a good time in fellowship and community and chase after you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm excited for tonight. You guys answer the questions. We're going to continue in part three of our sermon series, Homecoming. But I want to start out tonight with some important precursors. So the last two weeks, we've talked about the crowd at the party, the people around the family. And then the last week, we talked about the oldest son. Tonight, we're going to talk about the prodigal son. This is the heart of the story. This part of the parable, I'm going to preface this. This part of the story can often be perceived as sad. It can produce shame in our lives. But tonight we're going to look at a a positive perspective. We're going to look at this parable through a positive lens. And ultimately we're going to see how God truly does love us in a biblical way. It can be easy for us to compare our own sin to the the sin of the prodigal son. And I'm going to encourage you tonight to refrain from doing that. Our sin is all the same in the eyes of God. I think I have a point on the screen. God does not assign levels of, of severity to our sin. So God doesn't say, Spencer, your sin's pretty bad compared to, to Tucker's or to Brent's. Oh, Brent, your sin's actually way worse than Mariah's. God doesn't do that. Sin is the same in all. Sin is the same in God's eyes no matter who it is, no matter what we've done, because God sent his son Jesus to save us from death and from sin. The enemy wants nothing more than for you to compare your sin to others and especially feel like you are alone in whatever sin you're going through. The enemy wants nothing more for that than for that to happen. And I believe because the enemy doesn't want you to hear what's going to be brought tonight, God doesn't want you to hear God's word, he's going to try to convince you of that tonight as well. God isn't going to want you to hear, that, or the enemy isn't going to want you to hear that God loves you and he has a plan for you, and he's going to deliver you from whatever you're facing. It's important for us to acknowledge our sin, but don't soak in it. Let's continue to seek the mercy and grace that God offers us. Can we do that tonight as a, as a community of believers? We covered last week what God's love looks like from the party, crowd, and the oldest son. So tonight, let's dive into how it looks from the prodigal son. How did the prodigal son, think about this question as we dive in. How did the prodigal son experience the father's good love? I believe God has encouragement for all of us tonight. So we're going to dive in. I didn't set the stage very well last week. I want to do it tonight. This parable that Jesus told, he's not just saying it blindly to like air. In this time in Luke, 
Luke tells us that Jesus is telling this parable to the religious elite of Israel. So there was a group of people gathered. They are questioning Jesus because up until this point, Jesus has spent amounts, immense amounts of time ministering to broken people, ministering to people that are hurting. And the religious elite of Israel did not like it. They were mad. They said, Jesus, what are you doing? You need to be spending time with people that matter. And Jesus told this parable to illustrate, this is how I love. It doesn't matter where you're at, where you've been, or where you're going. I love you. And your sin is no different than the person to your right or left. Throughout Jesus' journey to Israel, this, this all took place throughout Jesus' journey to Israel to celebrate Passover. Just as Jesus loves the broken, so we're going to talk about how he loves the broken person in the prodigal son. I want you guys to know, for those of you that are new, or for those of you that need to be reminded, PC Youth does the exact same thing. You can come here tonight with whatever situation you feel like you're currently in or going through. You can be in your broken mess, and we're going to love you just the same as Jesus would. Can you guys agree? For those of you that have been here for a long time, can we agree that if you brought someone here tonight, you are allowed to not be perfect because Jesus still loves you and so do we. Jesus wants to us to view every person in the eyes of God. Every single person that we encounter, we are called to love them as Jesus and God would. So we're going to dive into this passage. Imagine as we read Luke chapter 15, imagine as we read this that you are the prodigal son. So put yourself in the very, very first person shoes of the prodigal son. Here we go. Open up your Bibles, Luke chapter 15, verse 11 is where we're going to start. We read it the past two weeks, and we're going to read it again tonight because God's word is alive and it's active, and I believe because of that, it can speak to us differently every time we read it, even if it's the same passage. So I believe God's going to speak to us tonight. Verse 11, say if you're there, if you're there. There, okay. Chapter 15, verse 11. To illustrate this point further, Jesus told them this story. Still, he's talking to the religious elite. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of my estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. He had two sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land far away. There he wasted all his money in wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. That's pretty inconvenient. Would you agree? He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and I am here dying of hunger. It's important for us to know that the father, this family is very wealthy, so he has a bunch of servants, and the people that are serving his father and that family are still eating better than him. He said to himself, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Seems logical, right? Like, your dad gave you a lot of money, you wasted it, and wild living, you're a sinful, broken person, and you're like, okay, I at least need to eat, so I'm going to work for, for my dad. Because he's, he would expect in that situation to get home and for his dad to reject him. So he was at least trying to persuade him to let him stay as a servant. Verse 20, he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off from the house, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, the father ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Would you guys agree that that's probably the opposite reaction than the son was expecting? His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against, against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. 
that speech that he was rehearsing in his head, he said to his dad, his dad didn't even react or say anything back to him, acknowledging what he had just said. But he said, the father said, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate the feast with a feast. If you remember, there was a famine across the land. So a fattened calf would probably be very valuable in this scenario. So he didn't even acknowledge, say, the fact that the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. He just said, let's throw a party to celebrate that you're home. The father said, this son of mine was dead and he has now re- returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. That's the, the bulk of it tonight. Then we talked last week about how the older son reacted and, and the, the father said to him, your, son, my, your brother was lost and now he's found. We must celebrate. Jesus wants us Actually, here, let's go here. Notice how the father reacted to the son. I talked a little bit about it. But did you notice how, how welcoming and loving and comforting and gentle the father was? He could have said, son, you have gone. You have disobeyed. You have not honored me. You have not taken care of the money I have given you. You have lived wildly. That's the, the, re, the real expectation for all of us. Up until this story, if you had never heard it, you, you were thinking, oh, the son's going to get it when he gets home. Right? That's just real. That's what we would expect from an earthly, worldly, lovely, worldly loving perspective. But the father said, no, I'm not going to acknowledge that, that you have sinned against me. Instead, I'm going to welcome you home in my arms and throw a party for you and celebrate the fact that you were dead and now you're alive. The father, you can't miss this part, the father actually thought his son was dead. Like he thought because his son never returned that he actually died. But he came home and they celebrated his return. Did you know that God, our Heavenly Father in heaven, he sees you and I the exact same way as he sees the prodigal son? Did you actually know that? If you did, please don't take that for granted ever. And if you didn't, I'm hoping that's the best news you've ever heard. Think to yourself right now, how does God see you? How does God see me even in this situation that I'm feeling? Even in this situation where I feel helpless, I don't understand what's next. I don't know what step to take after this. God still loves you. No matter where you're at on the spectrum, God loves you so, so much. The same way the Father welcomed the Son home, God sent His Son Jesus to save us from death. For those of you that don't know the story of Jesus' death and resurrection, I just feel like I feel called to tell it. God is our Heavenly Father. He's perfect in every way. But He knew at one point, well, actually, He knew we were a fallen people from the moment Adam and Eve sinned in in the Garden of Eden. But God loves us so much that He knew we were a fallen people and we couldn't couldn't live without a Savior. He knew we were doomed for death and and to a sinful life. So God loved us so much that He sent His Son Jesus down to this earth to live a perfect life just as He has and to ultimately be persecuted because Just like it says in this passage, or what I explained, people were mad at him for loving broken people. People got angry, and he was persecuted and hung on a cross to die. And at that moment, if you were a Jesus follower in that time, it would be very easy to be discouraged and sad because the person that had taught you so much was now dying on a cross hanging. I don't want you to miss this, please. But God had different plans. God, Jesus died. Three days later, he rose again from the grave and he ascended into heaven on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. And he's watching. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's what the Bible says. 
So the same father that in this parable, in this parable, the father represents God. The same father that, that loved the prodigal son enough to welcome him and to kiss him and to give him a robe and, and sandals and a ring, that same father, and, and the, in, in the analogy, the same father, God, loves us, you and I, so much that he sent Jesus to die for us, to rescue us, to save us from death. And this is what's important. God didn't send Jesus to save one person or a few people. God didn't send Jesus to save a select group. Jesus came to save all. I think it can be super easy for us, especially as Christians. I think as Christians, this is where we've messed up, just as a church whole, not, I guess, necessarily people's church, but as a church whole, we've messed up royally because we've said, yeah, God saves you, you, and you because you live pretty good, you live a good life, you don't show that you've messed up, even though we both know that you're still messing up just as I am. But we've messed up as a church because we've categorized sin like I've talked about last week. Even if someone doesn't appear to be going through it, we still we put them on a higher pedestal than we do someone that's actively showing that they're in a living sinful, a sinful, broken life. So we've royally messed up by saying, oh, God only actually saves you, not that person. God came, Jesus came to save every single person, no matter what walk of life you're in, no matter what you're actually going through. Don't miss the fact that neither of us, none of us know to a T what the individual situation that our peers are going through. It doesn't matter to Jesus. It doesn't matter to God because he sees sin the same and he came to see, save and rescue all, every single one of us. First John chapter 4 says this, God showed me how much he loved us by sending his son, his one and only son, into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. This is proof of what biblical love looks like. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us enough and sent him, his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. My prayer every day is, God, don't let us forget that. Please. That's what true biblical love looks like. And I believe very strongly that if our culture, if our world got a hold of that, we'd be headed in a different direction culturally. But God knew that we, we weren't going to get a hold of it as a world, as a culture, and he knew that Jesus needed to come to save us. I told you to imagine that you're the prodigal son. Put yourself in that situation in the, in the story Imagine from an earthly perspective what you deserved. What did, the, what did the prodigal son deserve? You can shout it out. What did the prodigal son deserve in that story? Nothing. He didn't deserve anything. From an earthly perspective, let's just say. Rejection. Anger. Yeah. He deserved for his father to come down on him and discipline him. But God the Father... The father in this situation, in this scenario, in this parable had different plans. He welcomed him and he loved him. And that's not to say that we're going to dismiss all of the, the living that the prodigal son did. It's important that we acknowledge our sin because the Bible says that we must confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that we, we are a fallen people. So we're not saying dismiss everything that you're going through. It, we're not saying you have an excuse to live sinfully or broken because God's ultimately going to save you. That's not what we're saying. But we are saying that the Bible is saying that no matter where you're at, you're not too far gone for Jesus to rescue you. You're, so we just shouted out all these things that the prodigal son deserved. And this is what it's important. This is what it's all about. 
we deserved those exact same things. You and I today, or people on earth, deserve exactly what we just shouted out about the prodigal son. We did not deserve grace, but Jesus offers us grace. We, did not, we do not deserve eternity. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will spend eternity with him. We did, did not deserve eternity, but Jesus offers us eternity. We did not deserve a Savior, but Jesus offers, offers, offers us a Savior. All of the things that the prodigal son deserved, we deserve too. But Jesus offers us different. Imagine how that would feel as a son in this story. As you're expecting discipline and anger, but you receive love. Imagine that. Like, really, really try to put yourself in this parable. You've all been there. We've all been there with our parents. We mess up pretty bad, and we know that the hammer is going to come down when we get home from school. Like, you've been there. Like, we're not going to mess around. We all know that's true. At some point in our life, we've messed up to know we deserve some sort of discipline. But imagine you get home, and instead of all the things that you're scared about and working up in your head, you, deserve the, you get the exact opposite. That same feeling that the prodigal son probably experienced in this story, you and I have access to. And that feeling is redeeming, saving grace from Jesus Christ. Let's not forget that tonight. That love that Jesus offers us, that biblical true love that we don't see very much anymore on this earth, that biblical true love that God offers us, it's available to every single one in this room and every single person living on this earth. This is also what's important, I feel like. I felt... As I was preparing, I felt to go here a little bit. God's love isn't just available to those that are good people. How often do we as, probably just, how, how often do, do we as Christians say, oh, I'm, or maybe not even just Christians, as a, as a culture today, how often do we say, oh, that person's a good person, so they're probably going to go to heaven. That person lives a good life. They do good things, so they're going to go to heaven. God's redeeming grace isn't just available for those people. It is, and I'm not telling you to be a bad person and not to live like a good person. God calls us to a higher standard. But doing good things alone, if I didn't say yes to Jesus and I just claimed to do good things, that wouldn't get me to heaven. Eternity with Jesus is saying yes to him, saying yes to a relationship with him, and just as Mariah said earlier, saying yes to his plan that he has for your life. Galatians 2, chapter 6, or Galatians chapter 2 says, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by the faith that they have in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. We have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by just obeying the law. We are right with Jesus because of our faith. Saying yes to Jesus requires us to have a faith, a faith that's not from this earth, it's from, it's from the Lord. I looked up the definition, a biblical definition, and it said, real faith is believing and trusting even when it doesn't make sense or when we can't see it. So Mariah was saying earlier, she's experiencing a lot of change in her life. She can't see what's next. But Mariah, what I loved about what you said is you have a strong faith to know that God has it under control. And that requires, that's testing. For those of us in here that, that have that faith that 
that live with that faith. And for those of you that don't, I, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do so. But for those of us that live as followers of Jesus, we know that sometimes having a faith in him is hard. Because this world doesn't press us to do so. This world tells us, oh, whatever you're feeling is probably true. Whatever, whatever you feel like doing, that's probably the way. But I know from experience, and I hope a lot of you do too, that God, God calls us out of our comfort zone. And oftentimes, whatever his plan is, is not what ours was. So we are required to step into faith to follow Jesus. And that same faith will cover us and protect us and save us. I believe really strongly that the reason this story can be so powerful and is so powerful is because we are so in need and we are, no, sorry, I'm going to rephrase that. The reason this story is so powerful is because we are so used to what love on earth looks like. Sometimes we forget how superior God's heavenly love is. Did you hear that? God's love is superior to love that we experience on earth without him. Never forget how superior God's love is to anything that we could experience on earth. Don't miss this, this point right here. God's love isn't from this earth. It is a heavenly love that extends far above our earthly understanding. And you may say, Spencer, why would I want to put my faith into something that I'm not going to understand? And my answer would be, is because it tests us. It strengthens us. Understanding God's love challenges, forces us into relationship with Jesus. That's something I want. I want a strong, firm relationship with Jesus, and I hope you do too. It forces us into deeper relationship with him. Not understanding God's love forces us to try to understand. It forces us into the word. It forces us into community with fellow believers. It forces us to understand more about what he has done for us. So there may be some of you in here tonight who have heard everything I just said and you actually listened really intently. But there's probably still a few of you in here that would say, God doesn't want anything to do with me. I don't care what you just said. You don't understand my situation. You don't have the slightest clue as to what I'm going through. There's no way that I will come out of it. God wants nothing to do with what I'm, what I'm facing. He doesn't have a plan. He doesn't have a purpose. He's not powerful enough to, to help me out of this. That's one. There's some of you in here, too, that are also probably saying, Spencer, I've, I've lived by the Bible. I've put my faith into him. I've, I've done all the right things. I've, I've lived the Christian life to the best of my ability. I'm not perfect. But you're going to say, Spencer, I still don't see the fruit. I still don't see God's plan. This is my answer to both. This might be for only a few people in here too. The same love that saved Saul, David, Solomon, me, and many other people in here, that heavenly love, it'll find you and rescue you and bring you home. For those of you in here that are saying, God doesn't want anything to do with my situation, I promise he does. It may, not, it may be ugly now, but I promise you, God doesn't want to keep it ugly. God wants, you to, wants to deliver you from whatever you're facing, from whatever you're going through, from whatever you walk into every single day, not by choice. We don't have to sit there. We don't have to soak in that shame. We don't have to soak in the doubt that we feel. God will deliver us if you let him encounter if you encounter him tonight, if you let him move in your heart, God will deliver you from that. He's done that for me, and I know he's done that for many people in here, and he's still doing it. And for the person that said, Spencer, I've done all the right things. Stereotypically, I've done everything I can. I've done, 
live by the Bible the best I can, and I still don't feel it. I still don't see God working in my life. Do you guys remember that song that says, even when I don't see it, you're working? Even when I don't see it. When, when Moses was delivering the people out of slavery in Egypt, the logical thing for them to do would have been able to take a straight path to the promised land. But instead, God took them, led Moses, and then the people on a roundabout way to the promised land. That didn't make sense. But God was moving before them and behind them and beside them, protecting them and working even when they didn't see it. They said, Moses, you have us trapped at the Red Sea. Why did you take us out of Egypt? There was enough graves in Egypt for us to die there. Why did we have to come out into the wilderness? They didn't see God working. But for those of you that know the story... God parted the Red Seas and they walked through it clean. There was no mud on their feet. God was faithful. And just in that same story, because the, God's word is alive and it's powerful and it's still working today, God is still working today. God is faithful to see you through and you are faithful to see him eventually. So when you don't see it, you need to get into this book. You need to get into the word of God Strive for deeper relationship with him. Because ultimately he's going to see you through and he's faithful to do so. So, that question, so the question can be now, how do I let God rescue me? And you may even say, what does that mean for God to rescue me? I just told you, God is faithful to, to pull you out of your situation and to help you through whatever you're facing. But it's not, it's, not just one, it's not just action on one side. God is going to do it. He's faithful. His word says to but it takes action steps on our, our end as well. How many of us know that God wants to have a relationship with us? Jesus wants to be in real deep relationship with us. So just as it is on earth, relationships don't last if it's one-sided. If you have a friend at school and the only thing they're doing is trying to talk to you and you don't want anything to do with them, that relationship isn't going to last. The same is for our relationship with God. So the action steps for God to save us and to rescue us is to confess, one, that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. If you haven't done that before, I'm excited because you're going to have the opportunity to do that tonight. From then, step two is get into the Word of God. This book, I say it a lot, it's alive, it's active, it's not a history book. If it was a history book, they would teach it in school. This Word is alive and it's active. The Bible says that God's Word is God-breathed. This is how God speaks to you and me. This is how Jesus speaks to you and me. This is how the Holy Spirit speaks to you and me. And the way we speak back to him is in prayer. Dive into prayer. If you don't have a strong prayer life, it's okay. I didn't for a long time either. If you're struggling to, to, make, to be disciplined to get in this book, it's okay. Because for some time ago, I did too. But if you don't have discipline disciplines to get in the word i'd encourage you to gather people around you that will help you get in the word if you don't have a strong prayer life i promise it'll change your life when you make the decision to pray and speak to god every single day you will experience blessings and favor in your life that you hadn't before so confess with our mouths that jesus christ is lord get in the word pray and then this is what's important i feel like we did a good job of this here but if you haven't experienced it it's important for us to gather in community, to challenge each other. I'm not telling you when you open this book for the first time that you're going to understand every word of it. But if we bring people around us that do, 
they're going to help us answer questions, help us understand things that we don't understand. I always say, and a lot of people say this, you need to have at least one person that's more in love with Jesus than you are in your life. They need to be pouring into you. One, at least one person, if not more, people that are more in love with Jesus than you that are going to pour into your life. You need to find a mentor because God's presence is real. And for a lot of you, you might be saying right now, okay, God's presence is here. I feel it. I feel God tugging on my heart. What I'm going to say is you don't have to be at church on Wednesday or Sunday for God's presence to, to enter into your life. When the word of God is open, God is there. God is with us all the time. You can create the same atmosphere in your bedroom. I don't remember where I was, but a few weeks ago, somebody kept talking about this recurring theme. You need to have a place where you're praying and reading the word every single day, that same place. And sometimes it's going to shift. But there's something powerful about meeting God on your knees at your bed or wherever it may be. Let that be your Bible room. Let that be your prayer room. Because it doesn't have to be church or on Sunday or Wednesday for you to encounter God. Build in community. Do this together. Challenge each other. Hold each other accountable. And continue, this is important, continue reminding those around you, even the ones that don't know Jesus, how passionate God's love is. I believe that this story, worship team, actually, can you come? I believe that this story is very, very powerful. Would you agree? It's very, very real. It's very, very applicable. For those of us that don't know Jesus very well, you can still relate. But I think it can be easy when we open the Bible. Sometimes the enemy wants to creep in and make you feel shameful, make you feel like you've messed up too bad, and he's really trying to pull you from what God's Word is saying. This is what I'm going to say. This is a happy moment. Don't let this be a shameful moment. If you're feeling convicted or you feel like God's stirring in your life, don't be discouraged. Be encouraged because God wants to do something. This is my final point I want to make tonight. Whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, every single person in here, we all represent the prodigal son. Even if none of us have sinned as bad as the prodigal son did, we are all fallen and we're all sinful by nature. Don't miss me on this, please. If you're talking to your neighbor, don't let them miss out on something that God wants to do. We are all the prodigal son because we are all a result of a fallen humanity. So don't be discouraged by that. Be encouraged because God saves and God loves and God rescues. And he does many other things as well. So prepare your hearts tonight. Instead of being discouraged, be filled with the joy of knowing that God loves you dearly, just as the prodigal son probably was. Never take for granted how much Jesus loves us. Like I said earlier, that's my prayer, and that's my prayer for you. And a lot of the leaders in here, we pray, God, don't ever let us take advantage or take for granted the way that you come after us fiercely and passionately and the way you love us. Because the honest truth, and I alluded to it earlier, is we didn't deserve the love that Jesus offers us. Just flat out, we didn't. So why take for granted something that is so, so valuable? Never take it for granted. This is just proof again of how loving our Heavenly Father actually is. So will you stand with me tonight as I believe God wants to do something in each and every single one of our hearts tonight. Like I said, maybe some of you in here have heard this story a thousand times and for maybe some of you this is your first 
I'm a strong believer in the power of God's word. And I know that each time God's word is opened, each time it's cracked, it can convict and speak to us in a whole new way. I, I read passages in my Bible that I haven't read in a long time. And I have notes in my Bible about what God spoke to me years ago. And I read it again and it spoke to me in a fresh way. That's how powerful God's word is. So first off tonight, I just feel in my spirit that there's a few of you in here that have never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've never given, been given the opportunity or maybe you've just never done it. For, for if that's you tonight, I believe that God wants to speak to you and he wants to work on your heart. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to, to love you because he loves each and every single one of us so much. So if that's, if that's you, I'm not gonna call you out tonight but we're all gonna say a prayer together because I think there's something powerful about joining in community and praying these powerful words together, even if you've said them a hundred times. But if that's you tonight and this prayer that we're about to say is your first, speak it. The Bible says, like I said, it, if you confess with your, mouth, with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. So I want you to... Repeat after me as we pray tonight. Just say, dear Jesus, every single one of us in here, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me in a way that I didn't deserve. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you are the son of God. And I believe you rose from the dead on the third day. God, I believe that, that you are powerful and that your word is real. Jesus, I invite you into my heart. And I promise to, to further my relationship with you every single day. We ask all these things in your name, amen. Secondly, if, you, if you're in here and, well first, for those of you, I never wanna take for granted salvation because there's a few people in this room tonight that said the sinner's prayer for the first time, and that means that we're gonna to get to experience eternity with them. So can we clap for that tonight? To stay caught up with everything happening, check us out at peopleschurch.com, as well as on Instagram at PCYouthSalem.